2: This is episode 24 of The Milkman of St. Gaff's, The Cow. Before we begin, I'd like to give a shout out to our new patron, Kai Miller, Department of Lactic Affairs radio clerk. And if you're new to the podcast, please do not start with this episode. Begin at number one. This is the second last episode of season one. It's time for The Milkman of St. Gavs, starring
1: Howie the Milkman!
2: Corwin and I were almost at the police station. I kept going over it inside my mind... We'd get the police, then go to Mr. Greenwood's house. I'd lead them to the workshop where the radio was. Mr. Greenwood would protest that it wasn't his and that I'd put it there. The police would tell him that possession was 9 out of 10 parts of the law and he was in possession of a contraband radio. Stormy would be standing there, confused, trying to piece it all together. There was no way she'd listen to reason, that McMurtle was closing in on her father, anyways, and it was only a matter of time before Mr. Greenwood was arrested one way or another, and this way I'd secured a future for us. At the same time, there was this queasy feeling in my stomach that was getting worse, and I really wasn't feeling well at all. And then I just blurted out, Mr. Corwin, I can't go to the police or to the Greenwood place. I just can't. I'm sorry. Don't you remember? I asked if we could keep me out of it when we arrested him. He stopped and looked at me. You don't need me there. The radio's in his workshop. You can't miss it. It's just sitting right out in the open. It's not hidden. All right, Howie. I know you have feelings for the man's daughter. But if I bring the police to the Greenwood house and that radio isn't there... I was absolutely shocked to hear that he suspected I was lying about the radio. What kind of idiot would lie about something like that? It's there. I just put it... I saw it. Put, I saw him put it there on the bench yesterday. I heard the station with a guy saying numbers and letters. He studied me a bit longer. Why don't you go back to the station and help McMurtle milk the cow? It was acting strangely when I left. Sure thing, Mr. Corwin, and thank you. I turned on my heel and headed back to the station... For a split second I felt better that I wouldn't have to face Stormy and her father. But then, almost right away, that horrible feeling came back to my stomach. I thought maybe I was just hungry since I hadn't eaten all day, so I stopped at Granard's and got a fish sandwich. Whenever I went to his shop these days, he gave me a solemn nod. It was like an understanding between us about the things we'd been through. He usually didn't say much to me, but today he did. You tried Brixton's fish and chips up the way? No I haven't, are they any good? Sure, maybe you should go there from now on Howie. Thanks for the tip. It was nice of him to be looking out for me like that and I should have been grateful that I had friends like him in town, but I just couldn't shake the awful feeling in my gut. I took a couple bites of the sandwich and then just threw the rest out. I had no appetite. In fact, the bites of fish went down like a couple of lead balls, and then the balls turned into broken bottles that were grinding away at my insides. I just tried to walk it off. The sun was going down now and the streets were getting empty. All I could do was just keep walking. and I couldn't quite shake the feeling that someone was following me. I could even hear the footsteps sometimes. I felt like I'd done something really terrible. I tried to remind myself that I was just doing my job, but it didn't help. I knew somewhere deep down that I'd made a mistake, that I'd ripped something up that I shouldn't have ripped up, and now I wish I hadn't. It's hard to really explain it. It started to dawn on me that I might never go inside the Greenwood house again, and that he would be really disappointed in me, especially all the things he'd done to help me out. All the biscuits and tea, the fun conversations in the backyard. After taking care of me when I was hurt, maybe I'd never see that wallpaper again. But when I turned my mind to Stormy, everything just sort of went black inside me, like my brain was a rat in a cage trying to find some way to escape except that I knew I'd somehow made the cage myself. When I thought about her sweet smile and her kisses, I could have kicked myself. I just couldn't figure out why I'd done it. I kept telling myself that Corwin had been demanding for months that I catch Mr. Greenwood. But I knew deep down that it was something else. And then I heard his voice behind me. You know why you did it. I turned and he was there. I couldn't move. He was just standing there in the old brown suit, the only one he ever had. He probably wore it to his own funeral. But his face, I could hardly recognize in the dark. It was rotting, peeling, the teeth jeering at me, taunting and all over his head were flies, buzzing, maggots crawling. But it was him, and I knew it was him. You did it to hurt them, to rip them apart, the way you always do. What? No. Oh, yes, you destroy families. You can't stand to see anyone happy. That's not true. I covered my face with my hands and almost clawed my eyes out so I wouldn't have to see him anymore. But I couldn't stop looking at him. It is true. You tore us apart. Do you even know what's become of your mother? You couldn't stand to see Greenwood and his daughter happy. You hate McMurtle for the nice things his parents do for him. How normal they are. I stammered. I I couldn't understand what he was talking about. And now you've stolen a baby from its mother. Are you proud of yourself now, Howie? I never... What baby... He laughed under his breath. <laughs> you stole one of Mammoth's children, Howie. You should have stayed underground. You should never have come up to the light. No, it was a cow, an adult. He said nothing. I just heard the flies get louder. Then a gunshot rang out. I turned and ran, hyperventilating. I kept imagining Mr. Greenwood on the floor of his workshop and bleeding and Stormy screaming and the police and the milkmen just standing there watching. I didn't stop running until I was on the pier looking out to sea. The moons were rising. It was just a hallucination, I told myself. I was shivering now with sweat and the breeze coming off the water. It was just a dream, I told myself. A hallucination. It was just like shell shock. I'd be okay, just walk it off. So I walked and walked. walked along the water and then back up into the town with the pastel houses and the red stars glaring down at me. I didn't know where I was going, I was just trying to get away, but I couldn't get away from whatever was gnawing at my stomach. And now and again, I still heard the footsteps, the sound of flies. I could hear him behind me, but I would not look back. The branches of old trees in the moonlight looked like the legs of spindly spiders. They were just frozen there and waiting to drop down on my unsuspecting head and jab my eyes out. Without really meaning to, I ended up in the poorer part of town. I passed by a small playground. It was lit only by a couple of gas lamps and the slide and swings were pretty old and rusty. It felt a bit damp and uncomfortable and sad, but I sat on the bench just to collect my thoughts and calm down. There was an old lady I hadn't seen on another bench. She was wrapped in a ratty old shawl, and then I was surprised to see that there was a grubby little girl with her, maybe four years old. She had on a little blue dress and a bonnet with some brown stains on it. It seemed very late for such a young kid to be out, but I didn't have kids, so what did I know? I tried to forget my troubles and watched the girl playing. I cast my own mind back to the times i played in a playground like this. The girl had made a little castle out of sand and some tin cans. The sand was just a bit wet and perfect for sand castles. She was singing a little song to herself. I looked over to the old lady, who must have been her grandmother. "'It's so great to watch kids play. I think she's having a lot of fun,' I said to the old woman. The old lady looked like she was grinding her jaw and just mumbled something and gave a sort of blink like she was trying to smile but couldn't. Or maybe she was just in some sort of pain. Then the girl was trying to balance a piece of wood on top of the castle she'd made. But she couldn't quite get it to balance. And in the end she couldn't do it. The piece of wood fell and toppled one of the cans. And to my surprise, the girl got up, red-faced with teeth bared and fists clenched, she kicked and stomped on the castle until there was not a trace that there had ever been a sand castle there. She got wet sand on the grandmother in the process. Then the girl looked to the old lady and started shrieking and then crying inconsolably. Stop making that noise, you stupid brat! Look at this... The grandmother tried to comfort the girl and eventually led her off, hopefully to sweet dreams. I just sat there thinking about what I'd seen, in a thoughtful sort of way. Why is it that kids destroy what they've made just when they're almost done? I guess they break things they care a lot about just to show everyone else how hurt they are, and then luckily their parents are there to understand and make them feel better. The air was getting cooler, and the breeze was going right through my uniform. So I got up and started walking again. And then I remembered that I was supposed to be at the milk station helping McMurtle. Probably he'd figured everything out on his own and was gone. But I thought I'd better go see just in case. I got that broken bottle-in-the-guts feeling again as I walked. Watching the kid play, I'd forgotten for a few minutes what had happened, and now I just felt sick. Then I smacked the side of my face A fly was buzzing around. Then there was that old sound again. A swarm of them. I tried not to sink down, even though I could feel myself falling. I gritted my teeth and forced myself to stay up here on the sidewalk. It felt like everything I'd been keeping down was gurgling up and out onto the street and that everyone would see. And then there was the sound of the other footsteps again. They'd been there a while, I think. And there was the awful snickering. I knew if I looked back, I'd see him there, with the brown suit, his head just a silhouette of black buzzing flies with the glint of broken teeth. I always knew it, son, and now you know it too. You know what you are. You don't deserve to be here. Just go back. I couldn't stand it. I clenched my fists. First it was me, then you killed Billings. Who's going to be next, son? I didn't kill Billings. He just stood there laughing at me. I got so mad that I lunged at him. I punched him as hard as I could in the face. I felt the bone wet and spongy with rot. His bottom jaw came away and hit the sidewalk. He just kept on laughing, his upper teeth mocking me. I turned and ran until I couldn't hear his laughs. I caught my breath and I just kept walking. And then I remembered again that I was supposed to be at the milk station helping McMurtle. I couldn't even get that right. I put my head down and walked fast to the station. Another gunshot rang out and reverberated around all the houses. It didn't take me too long to get to the station. As I passed the parking lot, I reminded myself again about closing up that hole. But I was really glad to see that the light was still on in the station. I really yearned to be around another human being. The door was open. That was a bit strange but you know McMurtle, he can be pretty forgetful. So I went down the hall thinking that I could just forget my problems for a minute and help out McMurtle who apparently hadn't figured out how to milk the cow in all this time. They were keeping the cow in the room with the thermalizer and when I opened the big doors, I was really confused by what I saw. I didn't know where to look first. The first thing I saw was the cow. It was turning brown and leathery. It still had the old rope around its neck. It was halting and stumbling around the room, shaking. There were bumps bubbling up on its head. It was making noises like it was really struggling. It was pretty scary and awful. I, at least, was sort of used to this kind of thing, but then I saw McMurtle cowering behind the thermalizer. Howie! The cow! I'm trapped! Come out! It's not going to attack you! What's wrong with it? Come on, you said you found it underground. You know the things from underground don't belong up here. Slowly, he crept out. We stood a few feet away from the thing as it kept on groaning and bubbling. I've just never seen one. I know they act strangely, but I thought it was just a cow. I thought you said you found it underground. Well, can you keep the secret? I actually found it tied up to a tree, but it looked like the one Mr. Corwin told me to get. And I thought, with all the strangeness happening that night, maybe it did come from underground. You know, I probably would have thought the same thing, but you never know how these underground things are going to act. I've seen them before, you know. Well, what should we do? You have to milk it, and you'd better do it quick. Who knows what's going on with it? Milk it? Didn't Corwin tell you he wanted the phlogisterion? Yes, but, well, I think he told you to milk it, right? He's going to be pretty upset with you if you don't. I, Howie, I don't know how to milk a cow and, and look at it, it's horrible. Suit yourself. I turned and headed to the door. Wait, Howie, help me? I stopped. Help you how? Well, I just don't know anything about milking cows. Oh, it's easy. Just grab the pail. There you go. It's not moving around as much. Just get down there. Just gently. Okay. Reach in between the legs. There. Just grab and pull. And that's when the cow thing howled and kicked. It kicked McMurtle right in the head. He flew back and was lying there on the floor. I ran over to him. He had a horrible gash across his face and it was bleeding, but he was still breathing. The cow was just struggling with its own problems on the other side of the room. Albert, are you okay? He just looked at me through all the blood. He did not look very good. Hang on. I grabbed some paper towels and poured some water on them from the sink on the wall. I went back and wiped off the blood as best I could from his face. He kept opening and closing his eyes slowly and didn't say anything. I thought about dragging him out of the room, but he was too heavy. So I just propped him up so he was sitting against the wall. Hey, Albert. I'm gonna go get the doctor, okay? Just keep your eyes open. Here's some paper towels to wipe the blood, if you can. As I left the station, this feeling started to well up inside me. I couldn't stand McMurtle, but the idea of going to get the doctor to help him now that he was hurt made me feel sort of heroic. I don't think I'd ever felt that feeling before. The words of the magician came back to me. With one decent act, you can redeem yourself. It occurred to me that maybe I'd gotten the magician all wrong. He seemed like my enemy, but maybe, in some strange way, he was really trying to help me, to show me the way. It felt as though everything in my life was coming to this sharp pinnacle right now, and I had a chance to set right all the things I'd done wrong. The moons and the stars must have been aligned just the right way for me, because right as I came out of the station, up the block a ways, there were the police and Mr. Corwin and Beaver and Frank, And there was mr greenwood in handcuffs and looking very sad but thankfully with no bullet holes at all in him and there was my beloved stormy struggling with the fat cop i hadn't seen for a while and she was screaming let him go it wasn't him and she looked so beautiful in that moment with her hair all tussled and her face red and i knew what i had to do i knew that despite the mistakes i'd made i could fix it all at this moment right here Like a thunderbolt, I understood that there was nothing more important than me and Stormy and what we had together. I just hoped I wouldn't be too late. I ran back into the station, into the room where the thermalizer was and the cow and poor McMurtle. The cow had changed. There were weird, misshapen eyeballs protruding from its head, four of them, and it was all oily with reddish ooze and there were horrible bumpy things moving under its skin trying to get out. But I wasn't afraid i grabbed the rope that was around the cow's neck and i pulled and pulled until the thing started coming with me i pulled it as fast as it would go until i got to the door the police and corwin were just about at the station i was swept up feeling like one of those heroic soldiers who leads the charge of battle and sacrifices himself for his fellows for i knew that with this one act i was going to change my life forever i pulled the cow out onto the sidewalk and then I set the cow free. And right on time, it let out this horrifying scream. And everyone on the sidewalk stopped and stared. Waves of elation came over me as I shouted. It got loose! Dear God, Inspector Piercy cried. He drew his pistol and shot several times. One bullet hit the cow and it screamed again. It was ear piercing. And then the cow charged at the police. They all drew their guns. Corwin shouted, No, don't shoot it! But they fired anyways. Frank and Beaver pushed two of the police so they'd miss, and in the confusing situation, Mr. Greenwood and Stormy ran off down a side street, and I ran after them. I heard behind me, Piercy shouting, You two, after them, we've got the cow! I ran as fast as I could to catch up with Stormy and Mr. Greenwood. They're after us, I said. Down that way, I'll distract them. They hardly looked at me but they ran down the road on the left I'd told them to go down. I was still feeling elated. I was finally setting things right and I couldn't believe how good it felt. The cops showed up half a minute later, the fat one and the thin one. They went down there, I shouted pointing to the right. And they fell for it too. It's amazing to me how trusting some people can be. Back in the direction of the station, I heard the cow scream again. Maybe they'd got it, who knows. When the cops were far enough, I turned the way Stormy and her father had gone. I caught up with them not too long after. Mr. Greenwood turned out to be in pretty good shape and wasn't wheezing or anything. We were not too far from their house. They made me do it, I had no choice, I tried to explain, but they were too scared and preoccupied to really notice. There were no police at the house. I've got to get these handcuffs off, Howie. You wait here and shout if anyone comes. Stormy, I said, but she just ran inside without looking at me. So there I was, standing guard. I could hear a commotion going on a few blocks away. And then Beaver walked up behind me. I hardly knew he was there until the last second, and he startled me. What are you doing here? Oh, Beaver! and I said it really loud, as if I was totally surprised so that Stormy and her father would hear. I'm just standing guard. You know what they say about criminals always coming back to the scene of the crime. "Uh Uh-huh. Did you look inside? And he started for the door. No, it's private property. We can't just walk right in. But that's exactly what he did. The door wasn't locked. I followed him in. Anyone home? I shouted again nice and loud so they'd hear. There! And Beaver pointed out the back window, where i just caught a glimpse of the door to the back fence closing. Come on, Beaver said, and we ran out after them. Out on the street, I heard again the screaming cow. It was louder and more horrible. Then we both heard screaming human screams. Beaver and I ran in the direction Stormy and her father had gone, but the ground felt unsteady and then we both tripped on a broken piece of sidewalk that had somehow popped up in front of us. We just saw Stormy and Mr. Greenwood in the distance running in the direction of the harbour, so we got up and ran too. The next few minutes were a blur. There was more screaming, Inspector Piercy and the thin cop were running beside us. I saw, on the pier, the silhouette of Mr. Greenwood and Stormy in the moonlight on the edge of the water. Two cops were there, and Mr. Corwin too. I was running, but I was too late. One cop raised his gun and fired three times into Mr. Greenwood, who fell backwards into the harbor. Stormy screamed, and it was the only sound I could hear. And then I was beside her. Oh my god, Stormy! She looked at me, and the revulsion in her eyes brought everything in my world crashing to the ground. Get away from me! As I stood there looking at her, with her looking at me, with that disgust in her eyes, the ground started to shake, and there was this terrible sound, and what happened next is probably why you've heard of St. Gaff's.